take these basic things and we don't have to make them really, really confusing. But it's the simple, reproducible, transferable things that happen time and time again that work themselves into our being. If that was Joaquin's first time to catch a football, that would have busted him in the mouth. And if it was his first time to throw a football, that TV would be gone. But because he's played before, he has that repetition built in. As you do any of these things, the repetition builds it down deeper. Uh, hear this. The reason that the Jesus community was so potent is that they gave themselves over to a few simple things, lived them out together with intensity and frequency, and that affected the entire areas where they lived. Uh, the idea is devoted, isn't complex. If you circle it in your Bible, all it means is to give yourself entirely over to. That's it, right? Your entire being, to be all in, to push yourself, to say, this is what I want to orient all of my life practices around. Not just an idea, but catch this, fam, actually in practice. The things that he's going to lay out weren't just good ideas or good advice or new methodologies. This was actually how they lived. Uh, I came across this a few years ago, and um, I don't know who it was, so I can't give credit to it, but it's not me. So that counts for something, right? Uh, the guy communicating, uh, it was a guy, that's all I know, uh, communicating, said, hey, I found, just so you guys know, they're always finding new gospels in the Bible, like the gospel of Thomas, the Gnostics gospels, the gospel of Mary, all these different gospels they say they found. Uh, and then he goes, and then they recently found the gospel of America. And in uh, preferences 2, 42 through 47, this is what it read. It says, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. Catch this, this is not in your Bible. That's the asterisk before you freak out. This is not actually in your Bible. Uh, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They fellowshiped when they could fit it around their other commitments. They prayed when they needed something and got coffee every now and then. They had little to no expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes talked about generosity but kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts they were largely irrelevant to all the people in their city, and occasionally someone was randomly saved. Uh, isn't that a far less compelling vision than what we read in Acts? Can you see the difference that intensity and frequency makes even as we peer into the lives of others? That as people give themselves over to something with intensity and frequency, it's able to cast a much clearer vision of what this new community was meant to look like. The ways of Jesus didn't just permeate their minds, but they permeated their calendars and their wallets and who was at their table. The goal wasn't ever to extract people out of their neighborhoods and their homes and the people they hung out with, but to infuse the good news story of Jesus back into those very same areas. And so what are the practices? We'll just take them super quick. The first thing that we see is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves uh, not to one celebrity apostle. That's not what it's communicating. Find your one leader and then go after them. But remember, these people didn't have the whole New Testament yet. And so they were coming in saying, what does it mean that Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose again? How does that shape all of my life? 
They were asking questions of how do we live in light of what the Bible says to be true, in light of who Jesus is and all that he's done, in light of this spirit that I now have inside of me, guiding me, shaping my mind, giving me new thoughts, giving me energy, transforming my family. How do I live? And they would gather together regularly to hear, this is what this looks like. Here's the good news of Jesus. Here's what it looks like. And we're like, well, how do we know what the apostles were teaching? We have their letters. Like, that's what we read. That's Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians. That's the sort of stuff they were teaching. Here's what's true. Now, here's how that shapes all of your life. And because all of life is a really big thing, they had to devote themselves to that regularly. They didn't want to just know more about Jesus or know more about Christianity or know more about what this idea was, but they wanted to know him and what it looked like to live as his and how they could hear his voice and live in the world in a way that he was inviting them to be fully human as a new community. That's the good news of the gospel. And they were trying to figure it out. So they devoted, gave themselves regularly to the teaching so they could wrestle through that. And it was not in environments like this. This is the exception. It was table to table, living room to living room, back porch to back porch, rooftop. Actually, that's where their porches were. On the roof, they would hang out and talk about these things day in and day out, the text tells us. Uh, They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, This means both eating regularly together. We'll read that in just a little bit. They shared meals regularly with each other. And so the question, it's, it's not rocket science, right? Like, it's like, if I want to play football, I have to throw a lot of footballs so I figure out what it's like. If I want to be a part of this community, I ate a lot of meals. One actually sounds more exciting than the other. Like, what does it look like for us to shape not only our individual family unit around our meals, but a larger community where time and space and nutrition is shared? Creativity is spent at the table. But it was also a word that they used, a phrase they used to talk about communion, this table. Because in that, they would reenact the good news story of Jesus regularly. They would remember who Jesus was and what he had done, his life, his death, the new covenant made by his blood, which made them now a people. Because catch this, if you now had 3,000 brand new believers shoving into houses, all across Jerusalem, you were going to have to remember that it was Jesus who held you together and not something else. Because that's only exciting for like two days. And then you're like, I remember I didn't like you before we both became Christians. Like small town, think of that way. They lived right next to these people. When we take communion together, the reason we have this at every single gathering, unless we intentionally don't, is because we wanna do the same thing for us together as a community, that when we come to this table, we rehearse the good news events again, and it does something when it's not just our minds engaging with that, but our physical bodies. We wanna remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and we're brought into one new family. We wanna remember that there are men and women and children who aren't yet at the table and Jesus is inviting them and so we go out to invite them. We go to where people are to tell them the good news so that they can gather at the table together. They devoted themselves to remembering and rehearsing this good news story and doing something simple like sharing meals regularly. The next thing, 
says they devoted themselves and to fellowship. Uh, that word fellowship, if you've been around churches, you've probably heard a pastor at some time break it down for you. Uh, if you haven't, though, I get to be that guy for you. It's this word koinonia, which is deeply shared life. It's not just occasionally shared coffee, though that's good, too. I really like coffee. But what just took place at passing the peace most likely is not what this text is talking about. But it's talking about a way of life where life is intertwined with others a fabric that produced a beautiful tapestry of what kingdom community could look like. It's going to be parsed out as this text goes on. We'll get a little bit better view of what that is next week. But this wasn't just occasional moments that they happened to be in the same space, and they said, oh, what's up? You go to my church. This was a way of life where needs and wants and desires and sin was confessed and people were forgiven and those who didn't have were given too and those who had plenty gave some of that away so that others could have where people live lives that were deeply meaningfully shared together and you can't halfway do that and so it says they devoted themselves to that way of life uh, we have a lot of boundaries and a lot of difficulties with this particular one uh, we live in the loneliest documented era of history. Uh, generation Z is categorically on the books as the loneliest generation ever. Uh, probably because other generations didn't have a chance to actually track that stat, but in the rise of social media, the rise of the way that we can look into other people's lives, the rise of the way that families break apart, the rise of the way that kids leave parents, parents leave kids, parents leave each other, more than any other moment in time, People say they are experiencing vast amounts of loneliness. And we also live in the most narcissistic moment in time. Uh, all these things that we get to live in. Other people lived in like the most violent time. Other people had like the most famine time. We get the loneliest and the most narcissistic. Uh, narcissism, it's, you guys know the myth that there's this guy named Narcissus who loved himself. He loved his reflection. He was so beautiful. As people would fall for him, he would disdain them and be like, man, you guys are so dumb. Like, I'm just the most beautiful one. And then one day he caught a glimpse of himself when he was taking a drink of water. He saw himself over a pool of water and he fell in love with himself so much so that he starved to death while he sat at the edge of the pond because he just couldn't look away. So if you've ever heard that word, that's the myth that that comes from. There's model retellings of that story that often have an iPhone laid out and people peering over it at themselves to say that we very often do the same thing. Sociologists, again, have done tons of work into this, and they would say that back in the day, like in the 30s and 40s, um, not of the 2000s, um, Caden was just shocked the other day. We were watching a movie, and I was like, hey, dude, it's an old movie. You sure you want to watch it? And he goes, when was it made? 2015? I was like, no, 1989. And he's like, what? That's a time? Uh, I'm talking about like way back in the day, like the 90s and 30s and 40s. 20% uh, of the people would say that they were very important to world events. Like if you asked a group of people, they'd say, hey, people should consider me when making trade deals or deciding wars or anything like that. They should decide that. Um, and so people that were in their college years in that space, they would ask them that question, how important are you to world events? And like 20% would say, hey, I'm really important, which is cool. 
if you do that today in a sociology class, their numbers are in the 90s of people who say, hey, I'm really, really important to world events. More than any other time, we have people that are very lonely and also very idealized views of themselves. And this is always going to make a shared life difficult. But it doesn't mean that we should aspire to it any less. Because if that is the dark view, then the beauty of what the gospel produces will be even more brilliant against that dark tapestry. One of the ways uh, that people talk about this is to say that now our relationships, rather than being a fabric, are Velcro. We're very used to sticking ourselves to friendships, and then when it comes time to move away, we just unstick ourselves and try sticking ourselves to another group of friends. Uh, and people do this all across the valley with churches all the time. Like It's like, oh, cool, I don't like what that pastor said. Let me go put myself in with another community. Or there's a bigger house like that's only 25 minutes away, and I'll never see my friends, but let me just unstick, and then I'll stick in with some new people there. And the, the imagery goes just like your Velcro goes. If you keep doing that over time, it gets less and less sticky because the attachments are even less secure. And so what would it look like for the Christian community to be a community that wasn't made up of Velcro relationships, but deeply meaningful fabrics of lives that are woven together? Last thing they're devoted to, it's just kind of thrown on there, and prayer. Uh, Missio, if we would grow in anything over the next year, I would love for all four of these because we're not supposed to pick favorites. But I think that before any movement of God ever happens in a place, that prayer precedes it. So would we be people who grew in our devotion to prayer? Like this is what we were known for. Uh, this relationship that isn't just talking to God but listening to him. Uh, conversations with the creator, talking with, not just talking to, learning how to hear the voice of God and then live our lives in light of that. There is no missionary activity, no missional activity that will ever be sustained without a life of prayer to go with it. All throughout history, this has preceded the movement of God in any place has been a movement of prayer. I would love for those that are gifted in this area in our church to start to dream up what would it look like for us to be a people who give ourselves over to these conversations with the creator. Uh, catch it. Each of these different things that they were devoted to were all in the context of community. They gave themselves over to the teaching of the apostles. It wasn't just one person who really liked to listen to podcasts. It was the crew coming together to hear from God's word together. Uh, they gave themselves over to these meals, the breaking of bread. It wasn't just one woman or one man who really liked to host and everybody came in their house. It was scattered throughout the city that many people did this. This was their way of life. They gave themselves over to fellowship. It wasn't just that one person who was really gifted in relationships, but everybody was working through their mess so that they could come to community and have a gift to offer. They gave themselves over to prayer. And in that, that beautiful depiction of what the kingdom community looks like came out of it. As we walk through these things, just four shifts that I think for us need to take place if we're going to become these kind of people. Uh, the first is from distracted to devoted. Uh, we 
also, luckily enough, live in the most distracted age. We have so much available to us at any given moment. I love that devotion means to fully give yourself over to something. And then if you look up the word distracted, it literally means the thing that keeps you from giving yourself over to anything. Uh, the fact that distraction, right? Like if you're looking and say, hey, traction is the ability to move forward and grow in things. Distraction means that you can't do that. You have distraction, two words together, the thing that keeps you from moving forward and growing. Uh, many of us keep that thing in our pocket. Many of us watch that thing every single evening instead of wrestling through questions, having conversations. Uh, for the first time ever, I've had to change my illustration here. Uh, Netflix used to say, we will never go down in subscribers. Uh, the only competition we have is sleep. That was their statement for like a decade. Uh, last month, they hit their price threshold and tanked on all their subscribers, and people said, I'm not doing this anymore. But media threatens and calls us in. We have more opportunities to be in entertained than people used to have. And so we have to wield those tools wisely and live devoted, not distracted. A shift from preferences to practices. These practices that were just described, if you were to give yourself over to them for a year, I can almost guarantee that you would grow in joy in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, some of you come from a pretty maybe legalistic background where some of these things were forced on you. And so you're reacting to that saying, like, don't tell me to read my Bible and spend time there or spend time praying or spend time with other Christians or that I have to gather together. Like, you can't tell me to do those things. I've had those put on me and they didn't feel right. But I would say for us together as a whole body, the odds are that we are not in danger of becoming legalistic to these things, but walking away from them entirely and only dabbling in them when we so see fit. And so if we become and start oriented to, like, man, this church tells everybody that they need to pray and read their Bible and gather together, like, and it's becoming We'll probably have a season where that would be in the middle sweet spot, and if we start migrating to the other spot, then I'll preach those sermons too. But I think now for us, we would do well to ask the questions, what does it look like for us to move from just our preferences and different things to committing to the same set of practices together, to shaping our weeks, our months, and even our calendar year in sharing practices, not just based on what my preference of style is any given moment. The next one's a big one, but I can make it really simple. From immediate hits to eschatological hope. From immediate hits to coming into community in any given environment, whether that's your DNA group or your MC, your Missio community, or even a Sunday gathering, walking in and saying, like, all right, so hit me. Hit me. All right, cool. My life's changed. Now I walk out. But instead of expecting that to happen in any given moment, to live with a hope like the first church did, that, hey, this is going to be a process, but one day Jesus will return to make it new. Like, this doesn't get perfected until he returns. And so we have a hope that there's still an act coming in the story that gives us a ton of grace to deal with each other in the meantime. It means that we act as if the kingdom of God will fully come one day. And so we practice those things out now imperfect as we are. Yes, it is going to be hard. But the brilliance again of what can be seen when a community commits to maybe imperfectly, probably imperfectly living out these practices together will be far more brilliant than if we just say, hey, it's not worth it. I'm going to do my own thing, be my individual, isolated, on my own, kind of doing whatever I want. 
I promise you the way of Jesus is a much more full way of life. And then the last thing is committing or shifting from, hey, someday that sounds like a good idea. Like someday I should probably do that. Like someday I should probably develop some sort of plan for myself to grow in my understanding of what the gospel teaches. Like someday I should probably make a plan to grow in relationship with other believers. Or someday I should probably grow in learning how to pray. I would love to see us take a shift that as the Spirit convicts us of one of those, it's not just someday, but it's today. Oh, let me do that now. Oh, let me reach out to my friend now. I got a friend who I know prays, and they're really, they understand, they can lead to God. Let me learn what that looks like. What if these were the first four things that we taught people when they came into the faith? Hey, here's how we follow Jesus and we, we put ourselves under his story. Hey, here's what it looks like to throw parties and share meals and break bread. Hey, here's what it looks like to pray. And here's what it looks like to live in authentic relationships with one another. Like, we'll get to the other stuff, but that was ground level. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That's the beauty. That's what the invitation is. That's what the practices of devotion are as we look at them today. And so like last week, we sent out a tool. Everyone who's on the text thread got it. Or if you looked at any of our social media, it's redemptive. You can use it well. Um, this is also part of what we want to do is not just give trainings and ideas about things, but to give tools that go with them. And this particular one, boom, is around the concept or the practice of being devoted. And so what it'll look like is exactly what you see, only with a few less typos, because I still have to clear those up. But it's an invitation, a reminder of who we are as community. Uh, the hope is that whether you're a part of Missy or not, that this is something you look at and you say, hey, what would it look like if I, I spent some time with this, reflected on this text, and then answered some of these questions? Um, there's a reminder of that. There's something, here's what we should expect. And then this particular tool is going to give you a chance to reflect on a few things. Uh, first, to look at your life and your daily liturgy. What are the things you already do and have devoted yourselves to whether or not you know it? Starting with when you wake up, you guys are smart, you see that. Ending with when you fall asleep. So let's play this game just so you guys kind of see what I'm saying. Like, so I wake up and what's the first, you guys can be honest, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? What do you do, Owen? Eat breakfast. Hey, grown-ups, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? What was that? Check my phone. Write that down. Wake up. Check my phone. Uh, not just to shut the alarm off. Like, this is, think through it at that level, right? I check my phone. All right, cool. And then I wake up, and I'm like, oh, I need to get some coffee. Oh, then I get coffee. And then I maybe, maybe I read my Bible. Like, we, we, we do these things awesome. Like, we're not all like, I don't do any of this, but do them consciously. Then I read my Bible. What would happen if I flipped the space where I started in my phone with the time that I spent in God's word and reoriented that with that shape my day. Just think about these things, list them out, and then talk about this with somebody else. Oh, here's the things that I'm already devoted to that I didn't know. You might find that you spend more time being uh, ministered to by the gospel of some other influence, that maybe your prophets are actually political not the prophets of the Bible, right? Maybe you might find that your community is actually a network of relationships on Netflix instead of actual relationships. Like, just with eyes open, ask these questions. How do I actually spend my day? And let the Spirit speak to you about that. Is there some things that you can swap out for some of these practices of devotion to see what Jesus would do? And then look at your week. Uh, a lot of our weeks follow some sort of consistent flow. Now there's 
chaos in the middle of it, I get it. We've got five kids. I fully understand not every day goes as you expect. But generally, what does this look like? Oh, what does this tell me about the things that I'm devoted to? This isn't to heap guilt on anybody. It's just to say, oh, we are actually already doing things in our practice. And then sit with that. See what the Spirit would show you. Share that with others. What are the things you noticed that you didn't notice when you were doing this? Um, so it's a tool to help us to reflect. And then there's, because I did say prayer was the one I wanted us to focus on, and I wrote the guide, um, there's a prayer check-in. And so here's a chance just to go through, and uh, you might not like all the descriptors. I didn't like all the descriptors, but it's not my preference. It's a practice, and so I went with it anyway. Uh, but there's different things that you could just click on and say, oh, like here's where I see. When I pray, I experience God's delight and pleasure over in me as his child. And I was like, weak. I actually don't experience that very much. Like that's not my normal experience. I talk to him. I listen to him. I don't experience that. Um, there are a number of non-Christians that I pray regularly for. Oh, that's absolutely true. And again, it's just a snapshot for us to say, oh, how is our prayer life? Um, this is not, again, in the Bible, but it's a tool to help us reflect what can we grow in? What are parts of prayer that we could see ourselves maturing in? And then what would it look like if we did that together as a community? And that's always, that's going to be our invitation, to continue to grow in these practices. Uh, these ones, the ones of devotion. And it's as we do this that we hope that we are formed by God together for the sake of the world. Would you guys pray with me? Uh -huh.